Did you hear that one more time? It doesn't matter what it's like outside. It can be a beautiful day inside. We give God thanks for heaters, right? Amen? Amen. I was visiting with a couple last night. Their daughter is a freshman at Northern Illinois University. Uh, they shared with me that uh, it was negative 20 degrees for her last night. So we're not going to complain, right? Negative 20. That sounds really, really bad. Uh, Texas isn't, isn't so bad. Um, I often say at the beginning of a, of a message, if we have not met, my name is David. This week I got an email uh, from one of our humorous members of our church, and she said, well, if we have met, what's your name? <laughs> Just David. David's my name, whether we've met or not. We, I share that as an expression uh, of our desire to be hospitable and welcoming to those who may be here for the very first time. So if that's you, thank you for being here. Uh, we appreciate the chance to, uh, to bless you today. Hope that you are blessed uh, in your time uh, that you are here. If you have your Bible with you today, I want to encourage you to open that uh, to the book of James chapter 5. Um, I'll be the first to admit that I often forget where James is in the New Testament. It's near the back. Uh, so after Hebrews, before the letters of Peter, it's, it's at the very end of the song you learn in Vacation Bible School. So that's why I can't remember where it is. But um, if you don't have your Bible with you, it'd be really easy. In the blue Bibles that we have available for you, you can find it on page 1884. I'd love for you to, uh, to open that as we prepare to read uh, from James chapter 5. I want to give you a, one more reminder about uh, an important gathering we have this afternoon at 3 p.m., something that we call church conference, which is just an all-church meeting. Uh, we'll be providing an update on the multi-phase project uh, that we are in the midst of to expand and enhance our ministry campus. Uh, we'll be taking action on the first step of that. Uh, we are at the point of breaking ground on this new future, and so I want to encourage you, everyone is welcome to attend and all members can vote. And again, that's today at 3 o'clock and that will take place in our chapel, which is in Building C. Uh, this is the third week of this series uh, where that is obviously inspired by the life of Fred Rogers, uh, a Presbyterian minister who over the course uh, of his 33 years of ministry, he expressed that in the children's show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Now, the intent of this series, the idea behind this series, is that at the beginning of the year, we want to focus on how, in the year ahead, we can live more like Jesus. We believe that followers of Jesus are called to continually pursue that goal of living more like Christ. That's what the scriptures say, that we are to be like him. There's lots of words that we use to describe that process. We talk about discipleship. <clears throat> discipleship. We talk about being a follower of Jesus. Uh, what I, I don't typically use the word Christian by itself because to me that's either you are or you aren't. I'll talk about the Christian life because again I think it's a journey, it's a process, it's a, an ongoing desire to grow as someone who is living their life like Jesus. Now one of the most helpful resources that we have in that is the lives of others, our experience with others. In other words, we learn how to love by how others have loved us. We learn how to be generous uh, by how others have been generous with us. We learn how to be patient when we think about how others have been patient with us. When we think about our moms and our dads and the number of times that they could have strangled us. Maybe that's just me, but 
We learn patience when we think about how others have been patient with us and graceful with us. And, and we see that in others' experiences. We, we look at a life well lived, others' legacy. We see the way that their own life expressed the life of Christ. And it helps us think about what that looks like in our life and what our next step might be. So the goal of this series is not that you would just learn things about Fred Rogers or about Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, but in looking at his example and his life, we would be inspired to think about how in the year ahead we might pursue this goal in an ongoing way of living more and more like Jesus. Now last week we looked at that in the context, uh, the specific category of the words that we speak into the lives of others. Proverbs 18 says the tongue has the power of life and death. We highlighted that our words are powerful. They have incredible capacity to do good, to bring life, and they have immense potential to bring harm. And we often undervalue that. We talked about this in two ways, that there are things in our heads and there are things in our hearts, feelings in our hearts, and attitude of our hearts. There are things that should not make the journey from our heart or our head to our mouth. There are things that we should not say or perhaps things that we should stop saying. And at the same time, there are things that are wholesome and loving and encouraging and life-giving that reside in our head or, or they, they are here in our hearts. And those are the things that need to make the journey to our mouth. Those are things that we need to say or we might say those are the things that we should start saying. We talked about words like, I love you. I'm proud of you. You are mine. Nothing you could do, nothing you could say could change those, those things because you belong to me. Again, things that we often have in our head, they're, they're there in our hearts, but they haven't yet made the journey to our, to our lips. We haven't spoken them into the lives of others because we often undervalue the power of our words. I also shared with you uh, this book last week. I'm proud, I'm proud of you, my friendship uh, with Fred Rogers. The author is Tim Madigan. Uh, and I encourage you to go buy this book. And many of you did. Thank you for doing that. Here's how I know that you did. Because on Monday, I got a note from the author. And I hadn't met him before, but he sent me a note on Monday. And here's what he said. Good morning. I don't know what you said in your sermon, but based on book sales yesterday, I should hire you as my marketing manager. <laughs> I turned the job down, just, just so you know. But uh, I appreciate you doing that. I encourage you to buy the book because I know it will be a blessing to you. And I encourage you as you read the book to be thinking about others you might share that book with. So that not only will it be a blessing to, to, to them, but they will know that you specifically thought of them uh, in your own reading of of this particular book. Now, if last week you left inspired, if you left inspired to go buy a book or you left inspired to pick up the phone and, and call someone, I, I got many different emails and messages about people saying, hey, I called, I called my kids or I wrote this note or if you did any of those things, if you were inspired last week, I just want to tell you up front, you're going to be less inspired today, okay? Because uh, today is going to be more challenging and today we're talking about something that I know up front you do not want to do. Okay, you do not want to do this. Uh, none of us want to do this. So I just, I want you to know up front, if you left thinking you were going to take over the world last week, you're not going to do that today. Okay. Now, why tell you that up front? There's a risk here. There's a risk of discouraging you right off the bat. Here's why. When I go to the doctor and I need to get a shot, if that nurse knows that it's going to hurt, 
I want to know about that before I get that shot. I, I want to know that immensely because I want to prepare myself for the most immense, overwhelming pain I could ever imagine so that I'm pleasantly surprised when it's not that bad. <laughs> oh, instead of, oh my gosh, why didn't you warn me that hurts so bad? So I'm telling you up front, uh, and, and we're just going to rip the band-aid off and start reading James uh, chapter 5, uh, verse, beginning at verse 13. Listen to these uh, words of instruction. If, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Well, that doesn't sound too hard. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. You may not like the sound of your voice, but that, that seems pretty, pretty easy. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Again, that's that's a normal thing. Many people do that. We get prayer concerns all the time of, hey, I'm sick. Would you, would you pray for me? Uh, verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. And then you get to verse 16, and there's this word, therefore. Now, whenever you find the word, therefore, in Scripture, you should pay attention to what comes next, okay? Therefore, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So there it is. It's in the Bible. Confess your sins to each other. One of the reasons that I encourage you to bring your Bible every week is so that you can look and see that I'm not making this up. It's there in the Bible. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a minute. I want you to turn to your neighbor and share with them the most egregious sin that you committed this week, okay? We're not really going to do that. Um, if you already did and you didn't get the chance to hear your neighbors, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I tricked you. <laughs> We're not going to do that because nobody wants to do it, right? I mean, no one's interested. That does not sound like fun. That, I'm not inspired to do that. I'm not, oh, I can't wait to get home and confess my sin to, to someone else. I just, I just can't wait to get in the car. We're going to do that over lunch. Won't it be fun? No, no one thinks that. No one thinks this is, this is something that, that sounds fun, and, and no one's really interested in doing it. And if we're really honest, we, we would say this. We kind of see this whole confess your sins to one another thing as like super duper extra credit that you do when you do something really, really bad, okay? When you have fallen off the cliff and you, you feel like you have no hope and you're willing to try anything, that's when you confess your sin to somebody else. And that's the only time, right? Because that's just when you need a whole, whole lot of extra credit. And then on top of that, Maybe this is our, our, what we think is the strongest line uh, of defense uh, in, in our resisting this, this exercise. We just don't understand why. I mean, at the end of the day, we want to say, what's the value in that? I mean, I'll pray to God. I'm not going to say it out loud, but I'll pray to God, and I'll share a confession. But what could possibly be the value of sharing that with someone else? Why? Why do I need to speak and confess something, uh, a mistake, an error, of something that brought me harm or, or harm to someone else? Well, what, what would be the value in sharing that with, with someone else? Well, let's pause for a minute and consider what our neighbor Fred might say. 
It was a phrase that Fred Rogers used uh, on many occasions over the course of his life uh, in many different instances. Uh, The phrase was simply this, that anything that is mentionable is manageable. Uh, And this was so important to him, I would argue that this was one of the core values of, of, of his life, that anything that is mentionable is manageable. The passion that inspired Fred Rogers to create Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was his conviction that for our children, we can do better than the Looney Tunes. Now, I'm sorry if you love Bugs Bunny or Marvin the Martian, okay, that's still, there's nothing wrong with that, but he had this conviction that we can do more for our children than just provide a quick laugh. He believed that with children's programming, we could invest in the lives of children and that we could actually help them develop their character, their integrity, help them become productive and and healthy members of society, that that you could actually do with a children's program something that would benefit and bless the life of a child. Uh, Fred believed that children needed the space to process the emotions and feelings of childhood. And he felt like uh, children's programming could do that. He, he, he looked at programming at that time and, and he didn't see that anywhere. And so out of that sense of what was missing in, in, in programming at the time, as well as what he felt like was missing in his own childhood growing up, he created and he filmed 912 episodes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Now, if all you know of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is cardigans and trains and postmen and the land of make-believe, then it may surprise you to hear some of the topics that he addressed in this children's program. You may be surprised that during the Vietnam War, he talked with children in various ways about violence And he talked about fear. You may be surprised to hear that uh, within that program, in a way that was appropriate for children, he talked about death and loss. He talked about divorce. He addressed racism. In 1968, that was the first year that the show was on the air, so many of you have probably never seen this episode. It was only uh, in Pittsburgh and a few other markets at the time. 1968, after the death of Martin Luther King Jr. and Uh, And Robert Kennedy, uh, one of the episodes, uh, there's this exchange between Daniel the Tiger, the sock puppet, and Lady Aberlene. And this conversation between them begins with a question that Daniel asks Lady Aberlene. And the question is this, what does the word assassination mean? Can you imagine hearing that today? (laughs) What does the word assassination mean? Lady Aberlene pauses, and then she says, have you heard that word a lot today? Yes, Daniel replies, and I don't know what it meant. I didn't know what it meant. She says, well, it means somebody getting killed in a sort of surprising way. Daniel says, that's what happened, you know. That man killed that other man. Perhaps trying to change the subject, Lady Aberlene says, would you like to come on a picnic with me today? And Daniel says, I don't feel much like a picnic today. Lady Aberlene replies, I can understand that when you feel sad, sometimes you don't feel like a picnic. In the aftermath of 9-11, PBS invited Mr. Rogers back to, to film a message to parents to help them talk to their children about 
what children were seeing and experiencing during those tragic days. And part of what he shared was this. When children bring up something frightening, it's helpful right away to ask them what they know about it. We often find that their fantasies are very different from the actual truth. What children probably need to hear most from us adults is that they can talk with us about anything and that we will do all we can to keep them safe in any scary time. I want to share with you another expression of this, uh, this principle, this core value, that anything that is mentionable is, is manageable. It's another exchange between Daniel the Tiger and Lady Aberlene from uh, one of the early episodes of, of Mr. Rogers. And as you watch this, I want you to think again of this instruction uh, to, to confess to, to one another, this thing that none of us want to do, and the question of what value there might be in, in this practice, this exercise of, of sharing uh, these uh, these things with, with each other. Would you watch this video with me? Sometimes I wonder if I'm a mistake. I'm not like anyone else I know. When I'm asleep or even awake, sometimes I get to dreaming that I'm just a fake. I'm not like anyone else others i know are big and are wild i'm very small and quite tame most of the time i'm weak and i'm mild do you suppose that's a shame often i wonder if i'm a mistake I'm not supposed to be scared, am I? Sometimes I cry and sometimes I shake, wondering isn't it true that the strong never break? I'm not like anyone else I know. I'm not like I know are 
most of the time I'm There's weak no and I'm lying. Do you suppose that's a shame? Friend. I wonder if I'm just fine as you are. I'm not supposed I to be scared. Really Sometimes I cry and sometimes I shake, wondering, isn't it true that the strong never break? I'm not like anyone else. No, I'm not like anyone else. That's the longest video I think I've ever shared in a message. <laughs> but I felt like it was important for you to see the entirety of, of that of that piece, and, and the reason is because, or the reasons are because of what it says about the value of confession, the value of speaking um, our feelings, our emotions, um, and sharing those with others. And, and so I want to sh- share just a couple of those things that, that, that I see that, that may help you, again, en- engage in a practice that I know you don't want to do. So the first thing is that when we confess, confession forces us to choose words. We have to choose the words that express what we are experiencing in our life or the mistakes that we've made in our life. It forces us to choose words, and then we have to take those words, and we have to put them into sentences, and we have to speak them. And it's, it's often the case that we don't know what we need to confess, and we don't know what we need to express until we choose the words and form those sentences. There is actually something that we learn, and, and, and there is value in simply sharing and, and figuring out how we, need to, uh, how we need to speak what's going on in our life or what has happened in our life. It is valuable to speak it out loud so someone else can hear it, but in that process, we hear it ourselves. And when we hear ourselves speak the words that we have chosen and the way that we've formed those words into sentences, often we realize the feelings that we're expressing, we realize that, well, this isn't true. Uh, We we realize that there's, well, there's actually more here than I've even thought about. There's there's additional things that I need to confess that I I haven't fully even realized. Secondly, it allows another to empathize with our pain. When, when we confess, when we express what's going on in our life, it's as if we're just making a seat for someone else to sit, sit in with us. And, and maybe you can remember a time in your life, uh, maybe it was a moment of, of grief, uh, an unexpected uh, change, uh, circumstance, where someone simply came and sat with you. And in hindsight, you, you may not be able to remember anything that they may have said to you, but you remember they were there, and that they sat with you, and they held your hand, or they put an arm around you, and they just, just listened. We, we all need that in our life. We need someone to sit with us and to empathize with us. Now, this is a reminder that we should choose wisely. You should choose someone uh, who has the capacity for empathy, not someone who will simply run away from that moment of vulnerability, but that's what we're doing. We're just making space. For someone else to come alongside and to sit with us, uh, it, it opens us up to another perspective, a different perspective. 
Daniel sings, I'm a mistake, but in expressing that verse, he has the chance to hear Lady Lady Aberdeen's uh, response. She gets to speak a different perspective into his life. This perspective, this different perspective is often what exposes the lies that are in our heads or in our hearts. So it exposes the lies that we tell ourselves about ourselves. But it also, and this might sting a little bit, it also exposes the lies that we have used as excuses for our sin. It exposes those things that we have chosen to believe that, that for us are, are the very reasons we can just push this aside and say it's no big deal. Even though it is something that has caused or is causing us great harm or might be doing that in the life of someone else. It confronts our self-deception, and we have a high capacity for that. And and you may think, well, a different perspective, that's just wise. If you're trying to make a big decision in your life, it would be helpful to talk to a couple different people and to hear their perspective. But when we think about this in the context of our faith, if we believe that the Holy Spirit is active in our lives and also active in the lives of others, when we open ourselves up for that different perspective, part of what we're doing is we're giving another avenue for the Spirit to speak into our life. And often the spirit in our life, the voice of the spirit has, has grown quiet because of uh, our own tendency to believe the lies. And the way that we magnify the voice of the spirit in our life is we, we allow the spirit to speak through the life of another. To remind us of what is true and what is good and what is right. To speak words of grace and forgiveness over us. It's an avenue for the spirit to speak. But, but finally, confession is a first step. It's intentional, it's important to notice that, that, that Daniel the tiger sings a verse and, and there's a response to, to what he shares, but then at the end, he goes back and he sings the exact same thing. But, but what Daniel had been singing and saying to himself for, for what we can expect was quite some time, what he had been singing alone, what had been a solo is now a duet. And his words, his understanding of himself and, and these feelings that he was expressing, these are, now, these are now words that he speaks, that he sings, but over the top of them are the words of grace and the words of love that are, that are the response from another perspective. What had been a solo now was a duet. And because he was willing to express those things, this was a song he was never going to have to sing alone again. That's what happens when we confess. We realize that we're not alone. And though this is something that none of us want to do, it is a life-altering practice. It has the potential to be a generational blessing. John Wesley, who was the founder of Methodism, believed in confession so strongly uh, that in one of the practices of early Methodism, uh, one thing he called the band meeting, there were questions that each person answered every single week. There were five questions. Here's what they were. What known sins have you committed since our last meeting? That's the first question. (laughs) What temptations have you met with? How were you delivered? What have you thought, said, or done of which you doubt whether it be a sin or not? In other words, let's go ahead and talk about the gray areas too, just in case. Have you nothing you desire to keep secret? In other words, have you been honest? 
Wesley believed that confession not only set the soul free, there was, a, uh, there was something that happened in that process as, as words were chosen and sentences were shared, but he also believed that confession, confession was, was a practice that helped break the power of sin in an individual's life. To not only share that w- with others in a, a mutually accountable relationship, but to be able over the course of time to talk about temptation and how one is delivered from those things and, and to be able, again, to, to come to a, to a place of grace where, where those, those things could be heard and, and words of grace could be shared. Here, here's what I want you to think about as, as we wrap up. If this is true, that anything that is mentionable is manageable, then it seems to me that, the, that this, this should also be true, that those things that we fail to mention are the very things that often become unmanageable. And I want you to hear that because my guess is that, that there's someone here today who has something in their life that is becoming unmanageable. Or it may be something, you may have crossed that line a long time ago, but you're so good at hiding that that nobody else can see the downward spiral that's happening in your life right now. And maybe right now you're thinking, I don't, I don't know what I can do. I've got to stop this somehow. I've got I to somehow reset my life. I've got to get out of this hole. And this is something you don't want to do. <laughs> this is the unexpected possibility of what, uh, of what that step might be. The idea that if you mention it, if you're willing to speak it, there's a chance that it might become manageable again. That you might hear a word of grace in your life, that you might hear a different perspective, someone to come alongside you to empathize with your pain. It might be that that is the first step that you need to take to stop the downward spiral that's happening in your life. Because of the things that you have failed to mention that are becoming or have already become unmanageable in your life. So, David, are you saying that I should go see a counselor? Well, I didn't say that. But if you're asking the question, there might be a reason that you are. That could be the Spirit speaking into your life. So the answer may be yes. Should I talk to the pastor? Well, I didn't say that, but if that's something that God has laid on your heart, maybe so. Uh, I hear about this thing that we have on Thursday nights called Celebrate Recovery. I'm assuming it's just for alcoholics, so it's probably not for me. Is that something I should look into? Is, Is that something that might be for me as well? Well, Celebrate Recovery is based on this idea that everyone is recovering from something, all sorts of things in our life. We're all seeking healing. So yeah, you might you might want to talk with Pastor Caesar. Think about coming and being a part of Celebrate Recovery. That might be a blessing for you in your life. Should I talk to my spouse? Should I talk to my family member? Should I talk to my friend? Should I ask for prayer? And should I be so bold as to be specific about why I'm asking for prayer? Well, the answer might be yes. Yes. You need to choose some words. You need to give space for someone to empathize with your pain. You need to hear a different perspective. You need, you need to take what might be the, the first step. Uh, two core values of our church. Everyone has a next step, and shared lives lead to changed lives. And here's what that means. That means that we are here to help. That means our pastors, our staff, uh, we are here to help, but it means that all of us, we're here to help one another. 
The second thing that it means, and I want you to hear this very clearly and very carefully, I want you to hear that this is a place where it is safe for anyone at any time to say, I need help. This is a place where it is safe for anyone at any time to say, I need help. Now, in your mind, you might be thinking, there is no way I could talk to a pastor about this because they would be shocked by what has happened in my life. No, we won't. (laughs) We work with human beings. Nothing, I promise, nothing shocks us because we understand what it means to be a human being and to make mistakes and sometimes to make mistakes that are so in our own heads crazy we don't even know how we found ourselves in that in that position this is a safe place for anyone at any time to say i need help because those may be the bravest words that any of us could ever speak will you pray with me Loving God, we pray your grace will enable us to do those things we are really excited about doing. And also, also give us grace, Lord, to do those things that we really don't want to do. We may, we may have the sense that it might be good, it might be helpful, but at the end of the day, Lord, we're scared. And so we start by simply confessing that fear. And we ask, Lord, that you would give us not only faith in you to forgive, but also faith in one another and the capacity that we have to speak words of grace and restoration in the lives of others. Help us, Lord, to to be honest and to find life in that process. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.